focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Sochi sisters in Kwonsua and Chejihi. Guys, Happy New Year's. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. One's white, one's black. Yeah. And one's gray. What? Yeah, you're in the middle oh. of your gray. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Who's the other person? What are you seeing? What are you talking about? It scared me for a bit. Guys, good to see you guys uh, once again in this new year. Uh, we're going to start things off at the top office. President Yoon Sagar receiving his first government policy report of the year, during which he said that the ban on short, uh, stock short selling will remain in place for now. Uh, among other remarks as well. So you're going to start us off. Uh, this, we've briefly talked about this uh, with our reporters yesterday, but uh, it, it was uh, quite an unusual, uh, different, I should say, policy briefing today. Right. Uh, the UN administration this year has shifted away from the conventional way of receiving policy briefings. The annual reports that usually are done by each ministry to the president have been replaced by a debate kind of briefing. It's attended by not only government officials, but experts and the public who all discuss together the policy directions of the government. At least 10 such debates are planned to be held this year, and themes include housing, jobs, SMEs or small and mid-sized enterprises, public safety, medical reform, media policy, birth rate, etc. And the venue will not necessarily be the presidential office in Yongsan. In fact, today's first such event, which was titled A Vibrant Economy for the People, was held at the Korea Federation of Small and Medium Businesses in Yongin, Gyeonggi-do province. And... Uh, Later on, we're also expecting an industrial complex, youth startup area, university, or even military base to be one of the venues. Now, among the attendants today were 130 citizens representing different age groups from different backgrounds. 70 of them were there in person and 60 participated online. Now, what received the most media attention during today's round was President Yoon Seok-yeol's remark on the ban on stock short-selling. Uh, we talked about this issue last year, uh, I think it was back in November, when mm-hmm. the government decided to temporarily prohibit short selling uh, until the end of June to look into ways to improve rules in the system to help crack down on illegal short selling. Now, President Yoon said that those measures will remain in place until new measures are in hand uh, to resolve the harmful effects short selling have on retail investors. Uh, He said, quote, there are people who say short selling will be banned temporarily until June and the ban will be lifted after the elections. But that's certainly not the case is what how he made it clear. Yeah, it's interesting because a number of foreign investors were not very much uh, with the idea of banning short selling. Uh, A lot of people are actually big on that. But the the big issue was the naked uh, short selling, which is basically uh, trading stocks stocks that aren't even existent, in existence, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens moving forward here and how this impacts uh, the stock markets domestically. Uh, in the meantime, National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo had earlier said in a press briefing that the special investigation bills uh, would be transferred uh, to the top office uh, within this week. And shortly after that announcement was made, it was transferred to the presidential office. Ji, you have more on this. Right. So the two special probe bills which passed the National Assembly last week with unanimous support from the opposition parties were transferred to the presidential office today. 
Now, the National Assembly reportedly planned to send the bill to the government as early as today, and it happened as planned. Uh, pending, it was pending approval from the National Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo, and the presidential office uh, was firm in the president's decision to exercise his veto power on both the special investigation bills, one of them into stock manipulation allegations involving the first lady. Uh, however, Speaker Kim Jin-pyo had earlier said that transferring process will be done uh, once the working level preparations are complete. But now that it's been transferred, uh, we could uh, apparently guess that the preparations are all set and ready. And he added that he hopes, hopes the president will make a decision that's in line with the public's opinion. Now, the presidential office has made it clear that it intends to veto the recently passed bill. Uh, as part of the preparation process for the veto, they're taking steps to ensure that the first cabinet meeting of the new year is scheduled in a manner that allows for a smooth and efficient process. Now, while the timing of the meeting is still being finalized, the presidential office is working diligently to ensure that all necessary ar arrangements are made to facilitate uh, a productive discussion. And so a cap cabinet meeting is actually scheduled for next Tuesday. But with President Yoon presiding it, uh, the political stakes are high. So what they've decided to do is to hold a potential interim uh, cabinet meeting, which reportedly would be held this week with the prime minister presiding over it. Now, the attack on Representative Lee Jae-myung has also emerged as a uh, as an unexpected variable. While there have been observations that the timing of the veto could be pushed back, the presidential office has maintained that the issue of Lee's uh, status is... Uh, separate from the bill, and it's just a matter of time before Yoon's fourth veto is uh, in the books, and the rival op opposition parties are pushing back, citing legal measures as well. So it warned President Yoon on Wednesday not to veto the bills, and Representative Hong Ik-pyo, the floor leader of the Democratic Party, said Yoon will face a crucial national challenge if he vetoes the special, uh, the two special investigation proposals. And there's an internal atmosphere of restraint in the presidential office after the attack on Lee. However, the president has vowed to veto any malicious laws, uh, as he has said he would. So a clash over this bill seems inevitable. Yeah, I don't think uh, the attack and uh, on uh, Lee Jae-myung is going to impact the veto whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The big question is, of course, how this is going to impact the general elections uh, moving forward. I know that uh, National Assembly Speaker uh, Kim jong also uh, made a statement in regards to the uh, the E ten one disaster special act that I believe uh, the rival parties are having a hard time coming to an agreement with. But although he was a bit uh, more optimistic on that, uh, saying that the two parties are about. 70 80 percent in agreement they're not going to get a hundred percent agreement and they're, it's coming down to about uh difference in opinions about like one or two items and so it seems like uh they might be able to pass the et1 disaster special act but of course uh the special counsel probe into first lady kim Gunny and the so-called five billion club uh, is a different issue here uh the major issue of the week is the attack by an assailant, uh, surnamed Kim, at the southeast port, uh, eastern port city of Busan earlier this week on uh, Lee Jae-myung. Uh, arrest warrant has been indeed issued today. Uh, we do understand that also the DP leader is recovering 
from a surgery that I believe lasted something like an hour and a half or an hour 40. Uh, so let's get the latest on this. Right, an arrest warrant has been issued uh, this afternoon, and um, this comes just two hours after the arraignment of the suspect at the court. So let me go a little a step back uh, backwards. The Busan sure. Metropolitan Police Agency requested an arrest warrant to formally arrest the 67-year-old man, only identified by his surname Kim, for his knife attack against main opposition Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung on Tuesday. And in case this is new for some of our listeners, uh, DP Chief E visited the southeastern city of Busan Tuesday morning. And after a tour to a construction site of a new airport, he was stabbed in the neck by a man who pretended he wanted an autograph from the DP leader. And the suspect was detained on site. So the arrest warrant request by the police was made to the Busan District Prosecutor's Office around 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday, with the prosecution having made a formal request to the court a little past 11 p.m. on Wednesday. And then Thursday, as I mentioned uh, again, just earlier this afternoon, uh, he was arrested and an arrest warrant has been issued by the court. Now, Kim, who himself earlier confessed that he had intentions to kill the DP chief, is being suspected of attempt of murder. A prosecution official said the arrest warrant has been sought given the seriousness of the crime, as well as concerns the suspect could destroy evidence or flee, adding that the prosecution will work closely with the police to thoroughly investigate the truth of the case, including the motive of the crime, and deal with it strictly. Uh, And uh, earlier on Wednesday, also, the police raided Kim's house and an office, seizing his PC, laptop, a knife sharpener, among other evidence that could help the investigation. The police is also cooperating with the ruling and opposition parties to compare the list of uh, party members uh, that could also help in, uh, you know, f- uh, finding out uh, the um, motive behind this crime. Because we saw this suspect at other events of yeah. the political events before in other footages as well. Now, meanwhile, Lee Jae-myung is being treated at Seoul National University Hospital. Following his surgery, he has been moved from the intensive care unit to the general ward on Wednesday. Uh, not many visits are allowed, just the, the most closest uh, ones because he needs rest. And this Thursday, the uh, a professor who was in charge of the surgery gave a briefing saying he suffered a 1.4 centimeter long wound to his left neck but is recovering smoothly. However, due to risks of any additional infections or potential surgical complications, close observation is necessary. Yeah, so, so you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, a judge in charge of issuing the warrant had uh, done an interrogation or questioning for the uh, 66 or 67 year old mm-hmm. uh, suspect and it only lasted 20 minutes I, because it, it's it's unusual because he was very honest with his i guess uh, uh you know actions mm-hmm. uh, he i think answered very truthfully uh and shortly after he came out the, the the questioning itself only lasted about 20 minutes is what they said and they said once he came out all the reporters were kind of asking what was the intent why did you try to kill Lee Jae-myung and all he said i believe was that uh, he's already uh, filed a uh, eight page uh, report saying why 
he conducted the attack. And so we don't know the contents of this, mm. but uh, highly likely that it's going to come out uh, later on once the uh, trial date is set for this. But uh, we'll continue to keep a tab on this. And this could ultimately impact the general elections moving forward because a lot of people are saying now with the, some of the legal issues uh, standing in the way for Lee Jae-myung that those might be delayed uh, and might actually not happen uh, before the general election. So we'll see what happens. Moving on, the Army said South Korea and the United States have staged a joint live fire exercise near the border with North Korea to bolster their joint combat readiness. Now this being the first combined military exercise of the new year. Jihee, you have more on this. Right. So South Korea's Capital Mechanized Infantry Division and the U.S. Striker Brigade Combat Team from the 2nd Infantry Division were uh, mobilized for the drills, which have been underway in the border city of Pocheon, uh, which is northeast of Seoul since December 29th. Now, this exercise will run for a week through this Friday. Now, the Army said the Allies' first joint training of the year was aimed at bolstering combined operational capabilities against North Korea's military threats. And the drill involved 110 weapon systems from South Korea and the U.S., including K-1A2 tanks, A-19 combat aircraft, striker armored vehicles, and artillery systems. Uh, the exercise simulated A-10 combat aircraft's precision-guided strike on simulated targets, uh, K-1A2 tanks firing, and integrated tank air defense shooting. And the South Korean military has conducted a series of firing drills and other maneuvers this week, drawing sharp criticism from North Korea. On Thursday, North Korea's state media said South Korea began the new year with self-destructive acts, warning that chances of a clash between the two sides will be the highest this year. Now, the Allies have dramatically increased the scale and intensity of joint drills in the past year amidst escalating tension on the Korean peninsula as North Korea tested both long-range ballistic missiles and tactical weapons designed to strike targets in the South and the Pacific. Now, the U.S. has also deployed more military assets near the Korean peninsula, including a nuclear missile submarine, aircraft carriers, and large bombers. And the North called the joint firing drills reckless war maneuvers and mocked South Korea for backing Washington's hegemonic ambitions when it has no chance of winning or survival. Now, other than the more than 110 uh, weapons that were included in the drills, South Korea's Navy also conducted on Wednesday live firing drills and anti-submarine maneuvers in the waters in the east and west, uh, this involving weapons such as uh, destroyers. Let's move on here. We got some updates on uh, North Korea. There's always the big question, right? Uh, who is going to be the next leader of North Korea? Although uh, we can say that uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is still relatively very young. Uh, despite his obesity, uh, he is relatively healthy, is what a lot of people say as well. So it's, you know, there's a lot of variables. But now the South Korean spy agency is saying that Kim Joo-hye, who we've been seeing very often uh, in a lot of the uh, North Korean media outlets and uh, also in a lot of these uh, major events, 
she is believed to be the most probable successor of the current regime leader. So uh, tell us more about the latest assessment. Sure. Ever since Kim Zue appeared frequently in public beside her father, there have been growing rumors on whether she could probably succeed her father as leader of the North Korean regime. But uh, such an assessment coming from South Korea's National Intelligence Agency is new. NIS Director nominee Cho Tae-yong said in a written response ahead of his confirmation hearing at Parliament Thursday uh, that South Korea's spy agency currently considers Kim Zue to be the most likely successor of Kim Jong-un. This based on comprehensive analysis of Zue's appearance uh, and not her appearance, her appearance in public, of course. Yes. <laughs> and yes. But we know that her appearance really resembles her father, right? If we see the photos, but also her mother a lot. I was going to say yeah. she resembles her mom a lot. Mm. That's when what well, I realized in the newest, not the newest photo, but probably the newest one that we could see uh, on media. So uh, anyways, and also not only her appearance in public, but the level of respect shown towards her. Mm-hmm. And that being evident, uh, first off, in her accompanying her father at the launch site of Hwasong 17 ICBM and other activities at military events. So that's about the uh, her public activities. And then also North Korea state media uh, is referring to Tsue as respected daughter, a change in the level of courtesy from before when she was Kim Jong-un's quote, beloved or the most beloved daughter. Uh, the nominee, however, added that Kim Jong-un is still young, as you mentioned, SJ, and is relatively in good health, although we never know, which is why every possibility is still open. In fact, he also mentioned that the NIS believes Kim has another child of which the gender is not confirmed apart from his daughter, Zue, uh, and Zhu is believed to have been born in 2013. And the NIS echoed Zhu's words in documents distributed to the media later on. Now, last year in March, I have to mention that the NIS reportedly told Parliament that it's looking into intelligence that says Kim Jong-un's first child is a son and that the gender of a third child still needs identification. Right. And that would mean Zue could be the middle child. Now, the latest assessment is interesting, though, as the NIS just last year year in September mentioned that North Korea is a country obsessed with the so-called Pekdu Hyeltung or Pekdu bloodline, which refers to a three-generation uh, lineage of leadership from Kim Il-sung to Kim Jong-il to Kim Jong-un, who were or are all male. Uh, so it is interesting that they are now really saying that Sue appears to be the most probable uh, successor. Nominee Zhou, meanwhile, regarding a possible seventh nuclear test by North Korea, said that Pyongyang has been maintaining its Punggye-ri nuclear test site, quote, in a way that it could conduct a nuclear test anytime, adding the timing depends on Kim Jong-un's political determination. Like, we know that Kim Jong-un has been very unconventional with his uh, leadership uh, compared to, let's say, his father or his grandfather. Uh, one of the things that Chung Chur pointed out yesterday was the fact that uh, in the recent uh, public appearance with his daughter, uh, he kissed her on the cheek in front of the media, which mm. might not seem like a weird thing for mm. a father to do for their daughter, but it's something like this never has ever, mm. ever happened uh, before. Also, the media also, I think, calls Kim Ju as something like the morning star or something like that, like the rising star, something mm. with the star. And so there's interesting titles, but other experts are saying because they believe that the first child is a son uh, and 
I mean, given that Korea, North Korea is still a very traditional, old-fashioned country, right, that's male-dominant, uh, that uh, it's highly likely that the first child is probably going to be the successor, but they're keeping him... Secret, right? Very secret, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's highly likely that he's probably, like, in Switzerland somewhere, <laughs> uh, getting his Where Western his education lost. like his dad is, and he's, like, different name, uh, and no one knows that, uh, you know, he's the son of Kim Jong-un and, thing, and he could pop out of nowhere and be right. like he's the successor. So that's always a possibility. It's always a mystery. Mm. I, uh, I also just North wanted Korea. to quickly yeah. mention that uh, the Kim Jong-un regime doesn't seem to be that patriarchal like his um, dad and his grandfather because also his sister has been in media a lot. Yeah, as well as his daughter. You know what I think is, mm-hmm. uh, I think he just has no trust in, because again, the whole idea that it's the male kind of running the show, he did not like Kim Jong-nam, right? There was always uh, that fear that Kim Jong-nam, like, although Kim Jong-nam was on the run, he wasn't even in North Korea, it was like in Malaysia or something like mm-hmm. that. And then, you know, he, he apparently had uh, ordered the assassination and he's done and over with. And so he's not threatened by his sister, mm. right? His sister is not going to try to take over his, you know, role as the leader of North Korea, whereas, you know, uh, Kim Jong-nam's son, uh, Kim Hans, uh, I think Kim Han-sor is mm-hmm. his name, is so he's, he's hiding somewhere. He's a threat, mm-hmm. right? So all the male figures are a threat and so maybe that's why he's taking closeness to all the female uh, figures in in, in his uh, family that's again but that's just my speculation right Uh, let's move on here South Korea stepping up its diplomacy in 2022 to 2022 uh, in order to advance is that 2022 or 2024 yeah, since 2022 oh, since 2022 <laughs> to advance relations with the United States uh, to the highest level and to restore ties with Japan amid the, uh, the growing threats that we've been talking about from North mm-hmm. Korea uh, this according to an annual diplomatic white paper published on Wednesday Jihee let's get more on this right so according to the latest diplomatic white paper published yesterday Japan is described by the foreign ministry as Korea's closest neighbor for the third consecutive year Now, the phrase cooperative partner to refer to Tokyo has also been added this time. Now, in the preface, uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin wrote since its inauguration that the Yoon Seok-era government has spared no effort in building South Korea-U.S. relations to the highest level ever through uh, highest level ever through active summit diplomacy and to create conditions for restoring South Korea-Japan relations by restoring trust. Park also stressed the introduction of the Indo-Pacific strategy, calling it the country's first comprehensive regional strategy aimed at expanding its diplomatic reach and strengthening solidarity with countries that share common values. And on North Korea, the ministry said it sought to bring Pyongyang to the path of denuclearization as the reclusive country continued its nuclear and missile threats at an unprecedented level. I'd also noted that year 2022 was a year trilateral cooperation among South Korea, the U.S., and Japan was strengthened further to respond to a common threat, the North's nuclear and missile threats. And the government also made efforts to improve bilateral uh, relations with Tokyo, which had soured after South Korea's Supreme Court ordered Japanese firms in 2018 to compensate Korean victims of forced labor. Meanwhile, Korea and Japan held a consultative meeting at the defense vice ministerial level today uh, to respond to the North's nuclear provocations. And this year's paper also labeled China as South Korea's neighbor and largest trading partner, as well as a quote-unquote major cooperative partner in addressing the North Korean nuclear issue. 
You know, one of the things I remember uh, growing up in the U.S., uh, one of the things that uh, all the teachers used to tell me is that uh, bringing peace to the Middle East is something that's going to be uh, impossible to see even in our lifetimes. And when I was a kid, uh, it certainly seems that way all the more now because of all the tensions flaring up in the Middle East that started off uh, with the armed conflict between Israel and Hamas back in October of last year. And this is kind of spreading into uh, different regions here, uh, including to the Red Sea, South Korea through its ambassador to the United Nations voicing concerns over the Houthi rebels' attacks in the Red Sea. So give us the remarks as well as some of the, the background on the matter. Right. The Iranian-backed militant group, the Houthis, who control much of Yemen and have been in a civil war since 2014, have carried out at least 23 attacks in response to the Israel-Hamas war in Gaza since December 19th. They say the they act in solidarity with Palestinians, and their acts are happening on waters as they have been attacking vessels in the Red Sea. Regarding this, South Korea raised its voice at a UN Security Council meeting on Wednesday, and it's the first time since South Korea became a non-permanent member of the 2024 to 2025 term. South Korea attended a meeting as it's the chair of a UNSC sanctions committee on Yemen. South Korea's ambassador to the UN, Hwang Jung-guk, there said, quote, We are particularly worried about the reckless and illegal attacks by the Houthis against the commercial vessels in the Red Sea. He stressed the Red Sea is a crucial waterway for global trade and commercial, adding that any threats or hindrance to freedom of navigation recognized under international law is both unacceptable and unjustifiable. Huang also expressed his concern on escalation, escalating tensions in the Middle East as the Israel-Hamas war could expand into a wider regional conflict. Meanwhile, a dozen countries under the lead of the U.S. have warned Houthi rebels to stop their attacks in the Red Sea in a statement released by the White House also on Wednesday. It said, Let our message now be clear. We call for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. Let's uh, move on here this time. Uh, talk about uh, what's happening uh, in Lebanon, uh, some updates in regards to this. We talked about it is uh, a drone attack uh, that killed a senior Hamas official uh, earlier this week. Now, at the time, uh, there was a whole lot of blame from, let's say, the Hezbollah or the even the Houthis, uh, uh, Iran, a government uh, talking about this, uh, blaming basically Israel, though Israel did not comment on whether or not they were responsible for the drone attack in uh, Beirut, but then an unnamed U.S. official from the Def Defense Department actually told AFP that it was indeed an Israeli drone attack that killed Saleh al-Aruri, uh, who is a senior member of uh, Hamas. Uh, Gee, let's get the latest updates on this. Sure. So a U.S. Defense Department official has confirmed that Israel was behind an airstrike in Beirut, Lebanon, that killed Saleh al-Aruri, the deputy political bureau chief of, the, uh, of Hamas, the third-ranking member of the group's political wing. Now, however, the official did not provide any specifics regarding the airstrike, and the AP, citing a U.S. government official as well, also reported that Israel carried out the airstrike 
without notifying its top ally, the United States, which killed Aruri and others. Now, the day before, an explosion that appeared to be the result of a drone strike killed six people, including Al Aruri, at a Hamas office on the southern outskirts of the Lebanese capital, Beirut. And the uh, dead reportedly included some other leaders of Hamas's armed wing, the Al Qassam uh, brigades. And Al Aruri is the highest ranking Hamas member to be killed since the group's October 7th surprise attack that triggered the whole armed conflict with Israel. Uh, Israeli authorities have not commented on the incident, neither admitting nor denying responsibility. However, David Varnia, the chief of Mossad, Israel's foreign intelligence agency, has vowed to hunt down any Hamas member involved in a surprise attack on Israel, wherever they may be. Uh, and he said uh, the fallout and also this fallout from al death has put Israel on high alert as the region becomes more volatile. Yeah, so it was I read this uh, article earlier uh, in the morning and I found this uh, quite interesting and surprising at the same time because... The U.S. coming out basically saying, despite them being allies, mm-hmm. right? Like it's kind of like tattling on your own friend. Uh, but because it, remember the the attack happened not in Gaza Strip, it happened in Lebanon, in Beirut of all places, uh, near the capital, right? And so this could lead to a huge, huge conflict. And so it, U.S. knowing that if the blame is placed on them and they kind of have a track record for using drones to kill off uh, militant leaders, as we're going to be talking about in just a bit, uh, that the the blame could potentially be blamed on the U.S. So they basically said, look, it wasn't us, it was Israel, and Israel, you didn't even talk to us in regards to this. So now tensions are flaring up. And even more now, because we're going to talk about what happened over in Iran over the past 24 hours, two bomb explosions uh, killed some 95 people, I think they're saying at least 95 is what they're saying. They're, they're updating the numbers left and right. This happened on the fourth anniversary of the assassination of Iranian General Qassem Soleimani, who was assassinated by the U.S. using the drones. Now, so let's get the details of this. Right. Uh, there are some conflicting media reports uh, that said at least 103 people were killed and 188 were injured in the Iranian city of Kerman on Wednesday local time after twin blasts near the tomb of Soleimani. Uh, some say the death toll stands at 95, uh, as you mentioned, SJ, while Iran's health minister said some names were registered twice by accident. So mm. we might have to wait for a more accurate figure. What is, however, uh, known is that a big number of people have been killed in this incident. So yeah. uh, let me give you a summary of what happened. A memorial ceremony was being held for Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in Kerman, roughly 820 kilometers southeast of Iran's capital, Tehran. <clears throat> Excuse me, Wednesday afternoon. Wait, hold on. I'm going <clears> to <throat> let you clear off your uh, voice a bit here. <clears throat> uh, but the, nevertheless, I mean, we're talking about two separate explosions. There is a reason why there is a high number of casualties that have happened. And so if you're okay, let's uh, continue on with this. Sure. So that was some 700 meters from the general's grave. <clears throat> where the first explosion occurred around 3 p.m. And some 10 minutes later, another explosion happened around one kilometer away from the tomb. According to Iran's state television channel IRINN, the first explosion was caused by a bomb that apparently uh, was detonated remotely. It was said to have been hidden inside a suitcase inside a car. The second one, also carried out remotely, was said to have been the deadlier one as people came over to help those injured in the first 
first explosion. Three emergency rescuers reportedly were killed in the second explosion as they arrived at the scene of the first explosion. Now, no no one and no group has claimed responsibility for the blasts yet. Uh, But I have to give some background for um, regarding Soleimani. He's the head of the he was the head of the Revolutionary Guards Quds Force, deemed a terrorist organization by the U.S. The Iranian general was killed by a U.S. airstrike by the order of former President Donald Trump four years ago, who, along with his troops, according to the Pentagon, was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Americans. Now, Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi said in a written statement, Undoubtedly, the perpetrators of this cowardly act will soon be identified and punished for their heinous act by the capable security and law enforcement forces. And Iranian officials claim that this is a terrorist act, while fingers are also pointing towards Israel, with Iran-backed militants involved in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Uh, And uh, for now, um, as I mentioned, uh, no one has... uh, taken responsibility for this act. Uh, We will have to wait and see for more. But uh, meanwhile, Thursday has been declared a day of mourning in Iran. That's right. Uh, Very quickly, uh, Jim, we have about about a minute. Let's get some latest updates from the U.S. Fed, as we know that they're going to maybe make some uh, great cuts starting this year. Right. So in discussing the outlook for monetary policy going forward, Fed members determined that the benchmark interest rate appears to be at or near the top of this tightening cycle, according to the December FOMC minutes released by the U.S. Federal Reserve on Wednesday. Now, the minutes said that the December meeting members at the December meeting, members agreed that a rate cut would occur in 2024. But then uh, while they believe so, they also expressed cautiousness about removing moving further rate hikes from policy options given the high level of uncertainty in the economy. But we can expect a rate cut, and this has caused some stir in the uh, markets as well today. Yeah, I think what they're expecting is maybe like three cuts of quarter percentages each is what they're saying. But that maybe is uh, a optimistic uh, look into what the uh, the U.S. Fed is going to do. Guys, I want to thank you guys very much for coming in today. Again, I want to wish you guys a, a happy new year. We're mm-hmm. hoping for big things and not a lot of conflicts that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. have a safe rest of the week, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank happy you. New happy new year. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.